we're starting a new book uh, this term. Um, we've done a few different things the last couple of weeks. We did Luke last term, but this term into Ecclesiastes. And it's pretty different. It's, it's weirder and probably harder than the books that you're used to studying. So it's going to take a bit more effort, a bit more work to figure stuff out. Um, and so before we get into these first 11 verses, I thought it'd be worthwhile um, just giving you a bit of an intro to the book. And so who's in G-Teams? Give us a show of hands. Yeah, nice. You guys are onto this, hopefully. Um, so there's first, firstly, a few things to understand. Ecclesiastes is written in a genre called wisdom literature. Okay, So you've got different genres in writing, like you do music. So you've got uh, narrative, historical document, recounts, all these things that we're used to hearing, but we're not so used to hearing wisdom literature. So what is it? It's a genre just full of practical wisdom tips of how to live in the world. Basically, an author will look around, observe stuff, and write down wisdom. So the best way, uh, I think, to get your head around this is practical example. Imagine that I observe uh, a husband and a wife, and the wife says to the husband, does this just make me look fat? Like this, right? So you just observe that. And let's imagine we're observing it happening over here, and the husband goes, oh, thank goodness you said something. Yes, totally. Get and punched out, right? You see that happen. Then you look over here, and you see something slightly different happening. This made me look fat. And the guy goes, oh, honey, you are oh, so smoking. You're more beautiful than the first day I laid eyes on you in year 10 when we were young and all this. And, and he gets a kiss and a hug and some brownie points to save for later. And um, so you see these two things happening, right? And you go, wisdom would see that and you would deem this one wise. This is the wise way to act if you want to live in this world, if you want to survive in this case. Right? You wouldn't do that. Do this. That's wise. That's wisdom literature. Right? So Ecclesiastes is the observations of a man. He looks around. He observes the observable universe. Um, and he communicates the best way to live in response to what he sees. But there's an extra complexity. He's operating within a particular lens, a particular viewpoint. And you guys probably would have talked about this, but uh, you can see it there. It's a different perspective, and it's called under the sun. So it's in verses 3 and 9 in this chunk. It says it, and it says it another 40 times or 38 times in the book or something like that. So what does under the sun mean? I reckon it's key to understanding this book. It's, It's really hard to get your head around if you don't get your head around this. So... It's, it's just, under the sun is just a limited viewpoint, okay? So, uh, do you ever go like walking around Avoca rock pools or something? I feel like I do this all the time, it blows my mind. Because you're walking along and you see this one particular rock pool and it's pretty sizable and it's deep and you're like, I wonder how often the water gets to there. I bet there's things living in there that have only ever lived in there and haven't experienced anything else. And they totally reckon that that is the entire world and I'm looking around going, what? You cannot believe that's... I don't know. I don't, do people talk to themselves about the snails and things like this? I don't know. But I, th- I think, imagine like a little, I don't know, one of these ones. I don't know what to call it. I call it a shell dude. Shell dude. Imagine a shell dude just like crawling around. And he's just crawling around the walls and he's like, 
after like a year, he's done a full circle and he's like, man, that was a good year. Let's do it again. But he's also like, this is it. This is the world. There's, there's walls here. There's stuff here. I share it with this urchin dude who's massive and just kingpinning. And this is it. This is the world. And, it's the, and that's true, right? You can't say, nah, that's not the world because it's true for him. He's in a limited worldview. But I'm standing here going, dude, there's so much more going on. You've got no idea. Mind blown. That's my illustration for that. <sighs> Under the sun simply means in this world, right? You might be used to hearing this kind of talk in the New Testament um, when it says, you know, don't store up treasures for yourselves here in this earth kind of thing. It's that kind of talk. So it's not as complicated as it sounds. But that is this guy who wrote the book observes and explores life with this viewpoint in mind. Um, He doesn't really give much regard to God. There is God in it. But particularly in these first 11 verses... No mention of God. It's just what he can see, what's going on, what he can experience. So that's important. I want everyone to get that. Now I want to push a little bit deeper with a few of you, so feel free to tune out for 30 seconds. But I do want to mention also, uh, to help you guys in the further weeks, is that when he does start giving regard to God, when he does start mentioning God, it's hard to get your head around what he means when he says God. It's actually a significantly limited revelation of God, how much we know of God. So it's not necessarily God as we know God now. It's not even necessarily God as the Jews knew him, right? It's this other category that kind of stands out on its own. And the reason you can get to that is by noticing a few things that the book doesn't mention. So the author doesn't use the personal name of God. So the name of God given to Moses, hey, here is my personal name, my first name, call me by this because we're in relationship doesn't mention the covenant, which is another relationship thing with God. And it doesn't mention where in Old Testament history this nails down, except for maybe the author, right? doesn't refer to the whole story of God guiding his people through everything. So it just lacks a whole bunch of relationship, which makes me go, well, it's not the God I know. It's not necessarily the full revelation of the God even they know, but it's just a revelation of God. So keep that in mind as we go further. So... You tracking with me? You tracking with me? All right. Um, we, I want everyone back in. We're going to get back into these um, 11 verses here. So the first thing that we see said is that everything is meaningless. You can see it there in bold right at the top most likely. So everything is meaningless. This author kind of does a little bit of an introduction and then bam, everything's meaningless. Makes his big point straight up and he comes back to it again. So look at verse 2 there with me. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So the guy who observes everything in life comes up with everything's meaningless. It's pretty depressing. It's, it's a warning for this book. It is a depressing book, but it doesn't leave you in that depressing state. So we're going to be going through that today, but I want you to feel the, the depressingness of that meaninglessness. So he he basically states everything's meaningless and then he takes the next couple of chapters to unpack his argument. He goes, here's an observation, here's another one, here's another one and they all point back to everything's meaningless. So in these first 11 verses, he gives us three of those arguments and we're going to check them out. They're actually pretty quick, so get ready. First one he says, number one, that labor, that's work, is meaningless. Verse three and four, 
What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. So he questions the meaning of work straight up. He says that there's no ultimate gain for work, nothing in their toil. You and your generation, they'll live, they'll work, and the next generation, you'll die, the next generation will come up, they'll live, they'll work, die. Generations come and go, and the earth is just chilling the whole time, unaffected by the labor of man over time. You can't see it when we zoom right out. Nothing's changing. So have you ever done work that's totally pointless in the end? The first thing that came to my head was like when you, it's not even really work, but you could say it is. You're like, oh, where's my wallet? Dang it. And so you drive, you're halfway to where you need to be. So you drive back home and you're searching everywhere. And you get in your car and you're like, oh, I'm wearing one of those jackets with pockets. There it is. Devo. Wasted work. Meaningless. My brother, my oldest brother, Joel, apparently was a bit of an ecclesiastical kid. Um, he always used to question stuff, even into his teenage years. He was like famous for saying that everything was pointless. Just like, oh man. And you might be feeling this as well, but we came to weddings. This happened to me last time. Dang, nabbit. All right. Um, when it comes to like weddings, you're like, oh, there's so many weddings, they have to be pointless. And he's just like getting over everything. But mum would say, do the dishes. Like, they're dirty. When it's time to do them, you do them, it's your job. And he's like, oh, what's the point, mum? There's dishes, they'll be dirty again tomorrow. Like, what is the ultimate gain? If I do it now, I'm just going to have to do it again tomorrow. And it's kind of funny, but he used to do this all the time. It's so annoying. But he's making, it's, it's making a true observation. He's, he's, you can feel where he's coming from. There's nothing really gaining in doing those dishes, so he doesn't want to do them. They're just going to get dirty again. And this is interesting. That This is the first point that the writer of Ecclesiastes makes. Because um, I reckon a lot of people in our day and age, much like back then, would have put their meaning, would have put their identity in their work. It happens a lot. Like As you guys are, I guess, getting closer to finishing HSC, people say, well, what subjects are you doing? Oh, yeah, what do you want to be? So it's like, oh, that's where you're headed, okay. Then when you like finish HSC, you're doing uni of what you want to be. And then when you finish uni, you get a job in what you want to be. And it's like, hey, I'm Todd. Oh, what's your name, Bill? Oh, yeah, Bill, what do you do for work? And it's just like, boom, there you are. You just get pegged and identified as someone. Yeah? Bill the accountant, for instance. And meaningless, says the teacher. That's meaningless. People spend their whole lives on this stuff. And you might be one of those people that are trying to put their meaning in work, in their toil. I reckon a lot of people do. And the challenge here is to ask yourself, is what I'm doing actually meaningful? Or am I just attaching meaning to something that's meaningless? I think if we stop and think about it long enough with the right perspectives, we come up the same as this guy. We come up short. We go, no, this is, this is meaningless. Why am I doing this? So you might think, why am I doing the HSC? This is meaningless. If it, it doesn't really change my like, I reckon there's two camps of people. There's teachers and there's everyone else. And everyone else goes, HSC doesn't matter. And teachers go, no, nah, promise me it does. And they're like losing this battle. I don't know where I see it. A bit of both, a bit of both. But... It's interesting because you're like, HSC doesn't matter. It doesn't change my life. Can we just do a bridging course or whatever? Um, it doesn't change the life of my neighbor. It doesn't change what my country's going to do. It doesn't change what the world's going to do. It doesn't change the universe. While we're watching that video, I've got some stats for you. So what are they? While we're watching that video, 467 people were born and 189 people died 
which means heaps more people have born and died since then. It's crazy what goes on, unnoticed. It just seems meaningless. So you might be thinking, damn, mind blown again. I'm going to quit my job, quit school, however you do that. Um, get out of here, go be a bum, live it up. But no, nah, I don't want you to go that far too quick. Um, because Jesus tells us, and we need to keep thinking this, Jesus tells us that we need to work. He says work's good. He says you work, you eat. That's good. And he actually condemns laziness in a quite a serious way. So don't do that. So work is necessary, but that doesn't mean it's full of meaning. It's, it's, it's ultimately meaningless, says this guy. It'll feed us, but it's meaningless. That was number one, work. Easy to remember. Number two, nature is meaningless, he says. Pick it up in verse 5 to 7. It says, The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. So the place the streams come from, there they return again. So the teacher here points out that nature's caught on this never-ending cycle, round and round. And ultimately, just like man's labor, man's work, he says it's meaningless. There's no gain, ultimately. You can see the cycle in Eve's observation. He says the sun's rising and then it's setting and then it hurries back. It rises and sets. It's a cycle. The wind blows south, then it turns, goes north, ever repeating on its course, round and round, it says. And then the water cycle, for those geography gurus out there, which was the best subject in the HSC, uh, water goes from one place all the way down and uh, returns precipitation cycle. Loving it. Just cycle, just meaningless. Why is this happening, says this guy. And it's a bit of a depressing take on everything. But it's true. It's a true observation of what he sees, that everything is meaningless. Just goes and goes and goes. He's caught up in it. He's frustrated by it. We're caught up in it just like he is. We're in the same place. And we can't get out. We're trapped. The earth stays forever. We come and go. We come and go. Trapped in meaninglessness. Number three, history and memory is meaningless. So the third observation argument is that history meaning, history and memory is meaningless and brings meaninglessness. So read it in verse 9 there. Verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 10. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. So here we don't just get the geographical kind of context for meaninglessness, like the zoom out from the world where we just go, oh man, that seems real meaningless. But here... We get the zoom out into, I like to picture it like this, time, nice and linear, loving it. So we zoom out and we see time, we see the grand scheme and the flowing river of time, this kind of language. And we just realize how small we are in time as well, not just in size, but in time. Nothing we do has any impact. And anything we do has already been done before. And we can see it in the pattern in our music and arts. Now, does anyone know how to pronounce this artist's name, but it's I-L-L-Y. Is it Illy or is it just meant to be I-L-L-Y? Anyway, 
Does anyone know his song called? If we sounds heard this before or something like that? Yeah, I thought it was like a newish song. Maybe I just found it newishly. Anyway, no one knows it, so I thought I might just educate you while I'm at. Hit it. I reckon it's groovy. <laughs> Can you hear what he's saying? Does no one know that song? You're kidding yourselves. That's so groovy. Um, He says, please forgive me if it all sounds so familiar. I'm sure that you've heard this all before. I'm only one voice in a world of billions. No idea is original no more. This is a guy recognizing, and I often get my mind blown here with music as well, so many people have done so much music over the time, and there's so many people in the world. How is anything original anymore? And he goes, it isn't. This is going to sound like something you've already heard, and I'm sorry, but we've got to do it. Nothing's new anymore. Get over it. And his whole song's about that. It's sick. It's really good. Um, we can also see it in our fashion. So here's a little fun game I like to call um, Hipster or 70s Dad. So let's hit the slide. Yeah. Just like, yeah, I, I can see that. They're pretty much the same. Keep going. <laughs> That's just bad. That's just real bad. Yep. Oh, that dude on the right's killing it. He's so good. Yep. Classic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's like 70s versus today's new and cool fashions. They're like the same. It's a repeat. We just see it everywhere. Nothing's new. Hipster is not new. It's been around here before any of us were born, way before our time. And it's all just tiresome, tiresome, meaningless, meaningless. It's frustrating. So you might think, well, maybe there's meaning in the future generations. Our society loves doing this. Like, oh, it's all about our kids and family. But... Check it out. Writer says in verse 11, No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. That sucks. No one's remembered. Who here, um, like, get your arms ready because here we go. Who here knows all the names of their grandparents? I actually don't. That's pretty bad. But one of them died when I was, like, not born yet. So, anyways... All right, keep your hands up if you also know the names of your great-grandparents. Full names? Impressive. Oh, a few dropped off. Oh, yeah? Okay. That's like typically, it's generally the case that no more than two generations are remembered by anyone. That's not very long at all. And why is that? It's because we ultimately don't care. We don't remember because we don't think it matters. If we did, we'd be studying it, we'd be heaps proud of it, and there are the occasional people that are. But your, grand, your great-grandchildren, 99%, won't remember you. That's only like 40 to 50 years away for some of us. If you're lucky, like you'll have grandchildren, you'll remember them, and they'll be looking at you, and they won't remember you. That's crazy. I see it happening with, with my, gran- great, my grandma, my nieces and nephews, great-grandma. It's like they're just not going to remember her. She's, they're too young. So to conclude, whatever we do with our hands, our work, point number one, meaningless, says the teacher. Nature, 
It's on a cycle. It's frustrated and meaningless, says the teacher. And thirdly, history and memory, our legacy, no one will remember as meaningless, says the teacher. So then verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. You can appreciate how he got there now, can't you? As you unpack those arguments, only three of many to come. Meaningless. If, if, if all we do is look at the world and really do put it under the grill, we'll come up with this. This guy had everything. And you'll see it in, in, in the coming chapters. He didn't deny himself anything, but he found everything to be meaningless. So there's no gain in the world being here. There's no gain in me being here. There's no gain in you being here. There's no gain in my kids and their kids being here. It's all just meaningless, says the teacher. But it rubs with this. And we're like, nah, I hate meaninglessness. Like, does anyone hate the mystery surrounding the appendix? It's like, why are you here? I don't understand. Meaningless, ah, I need to learn. We hate meaningless. And so this rubs with this. And, and if you're on fat camp a couple of weeks ago, actually, in Genesis, we learn that creation's good. Creation's good and orderly. And it shows us that God is good and orderly. It reveals stuff about God. How can that be meaningless? And we also saw in Genesis 3, the sin, the fall of man, just ruins everything that's good and brings in this pointlessness. So you could say Ecclesiastes is reflecting on what's happened to creation since then. Everything is just meaningless and in a cycle because everything ends the same. Because of sin, everything ends in death. So this guy actually unpacks it a bit for us. So we'll go quickly to chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down to earth. Death imprisons this guy's understanding. It it imprisons our understanding of what's going on. All you can say because of death is that our fate is the same as animals. He says, who knows what comes after? No one knows. And this is true for the writer. It's true for the Central Coast person who's thinking. No one knows. So what, what are we here? No one knows. No one can tell us anything. But it's not the ultimate truth. It's not the step back above the sun type truth. And it's not the ultimate truth because of Jesus. And this is, this is where it's sick for us on this side of Jesus. Because with Jesus, everything changes. He knows what comes after because he's been there. And he is God revealed to us in a personal level. That's amazing when you think about it. Jesus takes us out from being under the, under the sun, living that life, to have an understanding beyond the sun into eternity where things really count. He gives us hope um, and more than this meaninglessness under the sun. So I want to come with this. The last thing I want you to see is that... Um, the life with God is the opposite of meaningless. So let's go to 1 Peter 1. It's about there. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 3 tells us that we've got a living hope because of Jesus' resurrection. You can see the contrasting imagery here. In Ecclesiastes, it's like everything's fading away, nothing will be remembered, it's pointless, it's pointless. 1 Peter 3 is like resurrection, living hope, eternity, God's keeping it secure for us. It's awesome. But here, we like God's, God's power and, and the revelation that we have of God makes things meaningful. All possible because we've been freed from the devastation of sin and death, been freed from caught in that cycle um, by Jesus' blood. So flick over a couple more verses, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. It said there, I don't know if you picked it up, Jesus redeemed us, brought us out, of the empty way from our ancestors. And that just rings of Ecclesiastes for me. The empty way of life. He, He buys us out of that such that Jesus just turns everything on its head. So, number one, labor. If you're taking notes, write these down real quick. I'll just skim over them. But labor, meaningless, says Ecclesiastes. But in Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, um, the labor that we do in the Lord is not in vain. It's the complete opposite language. Everything we do has meaning and isn't meaningless if we do it in the name of Jesus. And then creation, meaningless cycles, nah. Creation, in Romans 1, verse 18 to 20, we see creation actually reveals God. That's awesome. And then Romans 8, 20, 21, says that um, you know, Jesus has liberated creation from that frustrating cycle that it's in. He's freed it. And then history and memory, everything we do now, Jesus has flipped on its head, such that it's not be forgotten and who cares and whatever. Everything we do will... Um, um, everything we do will last for eternity I mean, remembered for eternity and rewarded for eternity. It's, Jesus completely flips this on its head. And so reading Ecclesiastes, as we keep doing this, as we keep going, actually helps us to point to Jesus because it points to our need for a saviour. I reckon it does it in two major ways. First, by showing us the, the tragic reality uh, of life with sin and without God meaningless and pointless and death and cycle and secondly by showing us that we're powerless to change it this guy generations come and go he can't do anything to change the cycle nothing he does hasn't been done before or anything so the main point of what the teacher is saying in ecclesiastes it's like two main points main point of ecclesiastes everything's meaningless life under the sun meaningless I want that to feel heavy on you and keep that in mind. That's in that limited revelation. Then with full revelation with Jesus, the main point of what I want you to hear is that Jesus makes life meaningful if 
We're redeemed by Jesus' blood to put our faith and trust in God. It means that we not only have meaning here and now, which we do, uh, but meaning in eternity and stuff we do now affects eternity. It's awesome. I summarized, I think it was, yeah, I heard it from Ray, I think, but he said, um, Ecclesiastes expresses the necessity of relationship with God by exploring the meaninglessness of life without him. I'll say it again. I reckon it sums it up good. Ecclesiastes expresses the necessity of relationship with God. You need relationship with God by exploring the meaninglessness of life without him. That's what we've seen tonight. So how about I pray? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word, um, what it teaches, what it explores. I want to pray for those who have that limited understanding of the world, that they are engaging with what is under the sun. I pray that uh, you'd be merciful to them and and show them what uh, this writer has discovered, that no matter what it is, it's meaningless. Um, Whether it's pleasure or time or memory or work or nature, anything is meaningless. Lord, I want to thank you so much for Jesus that he brings meaning to our lives. Please help us to, uh, through him, put our trust in you and help us to live by faith in Jesus in all we do, knowing that everything counts for your glory and counts for eternity. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen.